we want to continue on, and we're excited to have our second uh, batter up today, and it is our own Matt Doan. And uh, we're so excited for Matt Doan to come on up here. And um, I guess that's it. They're clapping, so come on up. <laughs> we appreciate Matt. He's our reach pastor, does a great job with a local reach and helps uh, energize us in that area. And uh, so welcome, Matt. Thank you, Dave. I was teasing Dave on Tuesday. I said, Dave, can you give me like an intro when I come up? Like, and I'm, I'll, I'll type out a one page. Here's all the highlights of my life you can read. But obviously, I guess you threw it away. <laughs> or maybe it's not long enough. Um, hey, a, a little challenge for you. Open your book, your multiply book to page 34. And at the same time, if you can, grab your Bible and open to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible here today, we have some in the seat rack right in front of you. I encourage you to take that Bible, and if you don't have one at home or, or somewhere where you can get access to a Bible, br- take that home. It's our gift to you. And so page 34 and then Luke 5 is where we're going to spend a little time. And as you try to manage both of those things on your lap, let me show you uh, something that was... Let's see, let's go back here. I don't have it here, but just imagine with me. In 1983, my family bought a Dodge Ram van. It was yellow with brown paneling along the side. Anyone have one like that in 1983? This van was wonderful for our family of six, my parents and and four of us kids. And one of my favorite memories in this van was the drive that we would do semi-annually from Northern California over or down here south to Downey, California to visit my grandma Clarcy. And so my parents would pile luggage for four kids and themselves, all four of us kids who were under the age of 10. And for some reason, our 80-pound dog always got to come too. And so we would make the seven-hour trek from Northern California over down here to to Downey. I loved these experiences. There was two spots in this van that all four of us kids and the dog competed for. The first spot was between the middle seat. Oh, there there you can see it. Between the middle seat and the back seat on the floor. And so we would compete to see who would get that spot for the first rotation. And every time we would stop the van for gas or to eat, we would switch places. And in between the middle and the back seat, we'd put a blanket down. You'd kind of put a blanket above you, and it'd be like your little fort for the hour or two that you had it. The only bad part about this spot in a 1983 Dodge Ram van is that it would get super hot after about 45 minutes. And so you enjoyed this fort for a little bit, but then you suffered to your death until you stopped at Jack in the Box uh, a little while later. But that wasn't the best spot in the van. The best spot in the van was actually in the back seat. But I'm not talking about the bench seat. I'm talking the space between the back bench seat and the window, the back window. You see, my dad would put luggage back there, and then me and my siblings would put pillows and blankets on top of the luggage, and we would wedge ourselves between the back bench seat and the window. This was the prime spot when we're driving from Northern California down here to Downey. Can you imagine doing this now? 
Can you imagine what a highway patrol officer would say if my buddy Yancey Perez is here, who works for CHP, if, if you pulled me over, what would you say if my kids were just wedged behind the back seat and the back window? But this was our spot. Typically on this drive down here, you'd hit L.A. traffic as you came into downtown L.A. And this was the worst moment of our trips in the Dodge Ram van because all of us were on edge. The dog, Rufus was his name, 80-pound dog, in the hot, no-air-conditioned car, he would start developing these drool loogies that would come down. And Rufus, when it got annoying enough for him, would just shake his head violently. And the drool would come flying across the van. And sometimes it would even hit us kids in the face, like, Oh, Rufus, what are you doing? And so this was us stuck in L.A. traffic. My mom wanted to make a good impression on her mother-in-law, Grandma Clarcy, would no doubt take my two little sisters and would begin to brush their hair. She had this little thing we called the squirter. It was like a squirt bottle with water. And she would just drench them with that. And just start brushing their hair. And they'd be like, Mom, no, I don't want that hairstyle, no. It's for Grandma, come on. And so like, she's battling with them. And then me and my brother, one of us wedged in the back of the van, would no doubt, right about the time we got on, merged from the 101 to the 5, uh, would have to have a level 10 bathroom emergency. And if you've ever been in that little intersection, there's no place to stop from basically downtown L.A. to Downey. That's at least a place you want to stop. Maybe Citadel Outlets. Um, and so we'd arrive at my grandma's house in Downey, and we just were a sorry lot. We were tired, we were hot, the girls were crying, the boys were running in past grandma who we hadn't seen in a few months because we had to go to the bathroom, the dog was jumping out. I mean, we were a messy group. And so why do I bring that up other than it's just nice for me to get it off my chest? Uh, It's this, is that discipleship is unpredictable. Discipleship can be uncontrollable. Discipleship can even get weary because we don't always get to present the best parts of ourselves. We just present who we are. And ultimately, discipleship can be messy because people, life, and relationships are messy. Do you agree? Yeah. Okay, look at Luke chapter 5. You see the calling of Peter here. Luke 5, beginning in verse 1. It says this. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Jacinerit. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And just a side note, who could do this other than Jesus, who was God? 
And verse 7 continues, So they signaled their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. And then look at verse 8. It's on the screen too. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This was Jesus' introduction to Peter. Peter basically saying here in this scene, Jesus, I'm not sure you want to get involved with me. I'm kind of messy. I, I may be a little rough around the edges. I could be a difficult person for you as I, you call me to follow you. As I've thought through discipleship in my life and who's poured into me and who I've had the privilege and opportunity to pour into as a discipler, I've realized that as I began my Christian life and began having opportunities to disciple, I had, I would say, a false view of what discipleship would look like. I had this lofty idea that discipleship would be easy. I imagined that I would meet a guy at a local coffee shop and this guy would ask just amazing, great questions, life transformation, transforming questions. And I, in my infinite wisdom, would give him godly counsel that would change his life. That's what I imagined discipleship to look like. And then I became a high school small group leader. (laughs) And I realized that discipleship is not exactly like a Thomas Kincaid painting. Forget Thomas Kincaid's last years of his life, but his artwork is is calming, it's it's soothing, it's in control, it's relaxing. This isn't what discipleship is. Instead, discipleship is more like a Jackson Pollock than a Thomas Kincaid. You know this guy? This artist that does stuff like this. (laughs) This is discipleship. It's can feel random and chaotic and and messy and and uncontrollable. But the good news is that in the messiness of it all, God makes something beautiful out of discipleship. Amen? What a joy to be part of it. If you look again at Jesus' life with Peter and you scan the Gospels, in fact, I would encourage you if you're seeking Jesus or if you're a new believer, even take these passages that are listed here in the Multiply book, and Peter and Jesus' interactions, and study these on your own because it's a great portrait of Jesus just in the Gospels as you kind of bounce around the different Gospels. But you see Jesus' interaction with Peter and you remember the time that Peter rebuked Jesus and Jesus called Peter Satan. Can you imagine if that's how your relationship started off in discipling? Hey, you're Satan. (laughs) Peter stumbled in the water. We'll look at this in just a moment. Peter in the transfiguration foolishly offered to build Jesus a tent, a tabernacle. Peter wondered out loud in front of others, in front of Jesus. Jesus is like, I can hear you if it was worth following him. Peter misunderstood Jesus at the Last Supper. Peter fell asleep when Jesus asked him to pray. Peter fought in the garden. Peter denied knowing Jesus. I mean, if you just looked at Peter's life, wouldn't you wonder, like, who discipled this guy? (laughs) Yet, 
in Jesus' discipling of Peter, you see a couple of great truths. One is that discipleship is more about grace than production. Now, please hear me on this. Discipleship is not opposed to production, even as we just talked about, as Bob talked about. Production is a part of discipleship. That's why we even are calling this whole month Multiply. Production's not a bad thing. Please hear this. But discipling is not a factory line. One size fits all. It's a journey that has its own unique pace to it. And Jesus demonstrated that with Peter. Jesus had grace with Peter. Even reflecting on the story of Matthew where Peter steps out of the boat, the famous story that we know. You see Jesus having grace with Peter in Peter's failures and in Peter's doubts. In Matthew 14, you can just read it and refer to it later. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. (laughs) But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took a hold of him and said to him, you of little faith. Why do you doubt? I love reading the Bible because as we read it, the Spirit just draws new insights. uh, As even in a familiar story like this, and something that hit me here about Matthew 16 was the idea that Jesus stretched out his hand. Jesus made the intentional effort to rescue Peter. It wasn't like Peter just fell into his arms and he's like, okay, I guess I'll bring you back to the boat. And Jesus went after Peter in this, in this instance. Jesus had grace on Peter, even in the middle of a failure, in the middle of a doubt. In the messiness of discipleship, we're called to do that. When those that we're discipling have failures and doubts, we're called to offer them grace and not to respond with, hey, I got to produce four of you in the next six months, so you know what, if you're not going to shape up, like, we need to, like, you need to end this right away. That's not what discipleship is about. And you see Jesus offering grace to Peter and his commitment and his presence. In John 16, there's this little tidbit where you see Jesus talking. He says, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. So the disciples are beginning to kind of figure out that Jesus is not going to be with them forever. And that's bringing sorrow to them because for three years, guys like Peter in their imperfection and messiness have gotten to walk through life with Jesus. They've gotten to walk literally with him from town to town in Israel. They've gotten to eat breakfast and lunch and dinner with Jesus. They've gotten to observe Jesus interacting with other people. They've had this commitment from Jesus And this presence offered by Jesus to them for these three years. And it's incredible. So they're beginning to put this picture together in John 16 of, wait, this might not how it's always going to be. And they're worried for that. Jesus was incredible in offering his presence and his commitment to people. You see, discipleship is not a microwavable item. Discipleship takes time, commitment, presence. I loved what Noah said about Bob, is that this is doing life together, not just a one instance and then I'm good. 
And Jesus modeled that. And then Jesus, even in the next verse in John 16, says, The helper will come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And Jesus not only offered his presence and commitment to his physical disciples on earth, but then he promises in the Holy Spirit when he leaves, the same spirit that is committed and present with us to disciple us. And so discipleship is more about grace than production. And discipleship is more about Jesus than about us. It's our temptation in discipleship, like anything, to make it about us. Turn in your Bible from Luke 5 and go over to John 20. John 21, actually. There's a typo in the Multiply book. It's John 21. The typo is my fault. (laughs) John 21, look at verse 20. And I'll begin, 2120 of John says, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper. And he said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Verse 21, so Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? And just a little commentary on this. Jesus here in John 21, it's the pinnacle of his discipleship with Peter. It's the most crucial moment of his discipling of Peter. And at this moment, Peter is looking at somebody else other than Jesus. He's like, what about that guy? And then look at Jesus' response in verse 22. And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And then look at this last line. You follow me. It's like Jesus is reminding Peter and all of us once again is that We're called to look to Jesus above anything or anyone else. We're called to look to Jesus as our Savior and leader and not another person. Now, this doesn't negate Paul's talking about, hey, I'm an example. Watch my example. Follow my example. But instead, here's what I want us to understand. Is that if you're being discipled, the person discipling you is not Jesus. They are not your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. He is the Lord. He is the leader of your life. If you are the discipler, and I need to speak to myself on this, you are not a functional Savior to those that you're mentoring and discipling. Instead, you're to point them to Jesus. Listen to the words of Paul in in 1 Corinthians 2. I love this. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 1, Paul says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. When discipleship gets messy, when people fail you, when there's doubts that occur, when you realize that this discipleship process is more than a couple meetings at coffee, you can tend to go, okay, I'm going to grab the reins of this. I'm going to take control. 
I'm going to lead this. I want to put a huge caution sign in your mind if you ever have that mindset. Is that our goal in discipleship is not to point people to us, to use our own wisdom, but instead to point them to Jesus. For them to see the risen Savior. For them to follow Jesus as their leader and their Lord. There was a kid in the high school group when I was the high school pastor. And he had a great heart for Jesus. He met Jesus Christ in high school. And if you're a high school student and you uniquely meet Jesus in high school, there's something that happens that you... I've just seen it over and over again. You become on fire for him and you become contagious on your campus. And that's how this kid was. But his senior year at El Medina High School, his mom died tragically. And it threw him for a loop. He graduated from Elmo and he went on to his college years. And then his dad, who he had never had a relationship with, died. And he just heard that from somebody else. So here's a kid now in college who has no earthly parents. And though he had a heart for Jesus, that threw him into a tailspin. He began to doubt. And he made mistake after mistake. And I'm watching this as a guy who's pouring into him and just saying... No, don't do, don't, oh, you just did that. <laughs> okay, okay, no, 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 this is what, okay, now you're over here. And it was maddening to follow this messy life. One day he called me, it was about noon, and he goes, hey, Matt, um, I'm in Garden Grove, I'm living in an RV, and something happened, and I need to be out of this place by 5 p.m. Can you come pick me up, and can you find me a place to live? I'm like, it's, it's like 1230. I don't have any answers, but here, I'll come help you. And so I drive over 22 to Garden Grove. We get to this place. He goes, hey, um, I got to be out of this RV. Here's all my stuff. It like fits like in this. We put it in the back of my car. And he goes, and the guy's saying he's going to charge me extra money unless I dump the septic tank of the RV. Okay, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, there's a dump station down the road. Can you follow me in your car, and I'll drive the RV over there. I was like, all right. So we drive down to this dump station, and he hooks up this hose. This isn't the actual hose, but go with me on this. He hooks up this hose to the RV and begins to pump out whatever's in the septic tank. And literally, I'm standing with him, wondering, where's this guy going to live? in the next hour and the hose bursts off the thing he didn't put it on right and literally in that moment discipleship got really messy <laughs> figured it out it's coming out of the hose and attach it back get the tank emptied out drop them off the RV and now we're literally driving in my car from Garden Grove and I'm driving back here I have no idea what to do there's some circumstances that don't allow him to live in our home, and so I'm like, I don't know what to do. And literally, a guy from Calvary here calls me. Me and this kid are praying, going out loud, going, God, give him a home, provide right now. And this guy from Calvary calls me and goes, hey, I heard what's going on. I have a place he can move in today. I was like, Wow. And praying that this guy would see that God is real, that God does care for him in his life, that God has plans for him in his life. And this happens. 
Discipleship is messy, but Jesus does beautiful things in the messiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that though we are imperfect people, you pursue us, and by your spirit you call us, and you say, just like you did to Peter, follow me. Thank you for your grace in our failures and our doubts. God, may we, as we point others to you, may we gladly give them commitment, may we walk with them in presence, and may we point them ultimately not to ourselves, but to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, take a few minutes, and in your journal on page 35, just between you and the Lord, will you respond to some of those questions? And as you do that, we're hoping that you'll stay for the whole morning. But if you do need to leave at the break, there's a commitment card in, um, in what you were handed this morning. And I pray that you would fill that out and turn that in in the offering if you have to leave at the break.